The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. As the balance of power shifts somewhat in American politics, it's time to start questioning how that power, borrowed from citizens and utilized by the elected, will be wielded. Welcome to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's episode, we discuss the GOP blitz against Joe Biden, silver linings for Republicans, FTX and the cost of Thanksgiving. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. With the GOP now in control of the House, certain representatives have come out of the gate with a shocking presser, in which GOP big dogs Jim Jordan and James Comer set out a roadmap for investigating both Hunter Biden and, more importantly, President Joe Biden. So to discuss the latest, we're joined by Liberty Nation's editor-in-chief, Ms. Lisa K. Donner. Thanks for being here, Lisa. Good to be here, Mark. So I have to say, I was blown away by the audacity of, of the press conference, uh, the details, the accusations, and perhaps more so how these two representatives, they, they seemed ready to pounce just one day after the GOP secured the magic 218 seats. And uh, in a moment, we're going to listen to a couple of parts of the, that presser. But what were your initial impressions? Wow. Talk about scorched earth. Mm. Uh, it, it was as if the uh, Republicans were just waiting to that 218 magic number came and they were they came out with guns ablaze. This is nothing short of major, major news. And, uh, you know, they're they're really they were clear. They're not just going after Hunter Biden. They're going after the president of the United States. Yeah, that was very much apparent. And they were very open about that as well, saying this is, uh, I believe there was a part where Jim Com- James Comer said, uh, we don't need to discuss whether Hunter Biden is a lowlife. He is, uh, is what he said. Uh, but this is about Joe Biden. Now, I- we're going to play a quick clip here for you, Lisa. And I'd like you to come back in on that with your reaction. Rooting out waste, fraud and abuse will be the primary goal of a Republican House Oversight Committee. As such, this investigation will be a top priority. We are releasing a report today that details what we have uncovered. We are also sending letters to the Biden administration officials and Biden family associates renewing our request for voluntary production of documents relevant to this investigation. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the president of the United States, and why he lied to the American people about his knowledge and participation in his family's international business schemes. National security interests require the committee conduct investigation, and we will pursue all avenues, avenues that have long been ignored. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the president's family. These include conspiracy or defrauding the United States, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. 
may I say, wow. I mean, talk about throwing the book at someone. They, they clearly, the Republicans clearly were ready for this. They had visual aids behind them. They had lots of information. You know, the key words that Democrats have been using for a while now, at least when Donald Trump was president and after, was Republicans claim without evidence or people mm. claim without evidence. Using those words, claim without evidence. Well, they, they came to the table with plenty of evidence there, uh, you know, whether it'll stick or not. Of course, we don't know. But there's a lot of allegations and they had a, a roadmap. They really did have a roadmap for investigating the Biden family uh, schemes. Yeah, I, I think what was most um impressive, uh, if I may use that term, was that they highlighted, here is the information that we have, and also pointed out, here's why you haven't heard from it before. Here's where the information was sent to. Here's who debunked it and why no follow-up was done on it. Well, I do want to put one, just one thought in, and that is Miranda Devine over at the New York Post must be just opening bottle yes. after bottle of champagne today. She has been pounding this drum now for, I don't know, has it been two years, Mark? I mean, it seems like a long time. It, it, it absolutely has been two years because the Hunter Biden laptop story came out uh, not long before the 2020 election. Right, and, uh, right. It, and then that worth, was suppressed. And then, it was. And then everyone said it was fake, including 51 national security people which they label today the essence of Russian disinformation campaigns. But, you know, it's it's really been interesting to watch how this has turned. Then the establishment media came out, I'd say, what, in about the last year mm. and started saying, well, it does look like Hunter Laptops really is Hunter's laptop. Yeah, well, there, there was a progression, wasn't there? First of all, it uh, it wasn't Hunter's laptop. Then it was Hunter's laptop, but it was Russian disinformation. Uh, then it was Hunter's laptop and it was Russian disinformation with added things in there to make the Biden family look bad. And then it's basically just Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, and it is what it is. Uh, Let me tell you, if, they, if they're trying to say that, you know, all of this is just hokum and made up, that's pretty extensive. As you know, there's just no way that can be. Now, one thing I noticed, Lisa, and uh, I did mention this to you at the time the press was going on, uh, and shortly after, the while Fox News covered the presser, of course, uh, many other major, let's call them left-leaning outlets, did not cover the presser, and neither did they have stories up straight away or within a, a particularly reasonable time uh, to explain what had happened. Now, to me, this just seems a, a massive continuation of the same suppression that took place with Hunter Biden's laptop, isn't it? This kind of gatekeeping has got to stop, mm. but I'll tell you also, this is why places like Liberty Nation exist because you have to have places that are going to give you what's really going on and, and aren't constantly gatekeeping. I mean, talk about it, errors of omission. You know, this is a major, major uh, investigation of the current president of the United States. Now, certainly when they were investigating, when the Democrats were investigating Donald Trump, it was all over every station. Why isn't it now? Well, per perhaps it will be labeled as a, it was a, a fake press conference filled with, you know, put, put together by the Kremlin to uh, discredit Joe Biden off the wave of his midterm success. Yeah, it, it seems to me that they 
uh, doing this gatekeeping exactly as you say. And what's happening is uh, the reason for the delay was to come together with a narrative that could be firmly pushed across all of the more Democrat-friendly networks um, because obviously you can't have people going off uh, half-cocked, as we say in the UK, and actually just printing what actually happened uh, because that would be reckless journalism, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, I was interested in in their um, accusation on abuse of power, and that's mm. why I thought what they were talking about, the suspicious activity reports, and I think you have something on that. What's the, well, listen to this and let me know what you think. Many transactions related to these businesses have raised red flags at U.S. banks. A suspicious activity report, or SAR, is a document a bank must file with the Treasury Department when a transaction is suspected to be related to money laundering or fraud or other types of criminal activity. According to media reports, the Biden family accumulated over 150 SARs. One SAR generated by an American bank to the Treasury Department connects Hunter Biden and his business associates to international human trafficking, among other illegal activities. The thing that I found most interesting about this whole SAR situation, Mark, was that, okay, the Biden family accumulated 150 of them, and then they stopped. Well, why did they stop? Yeah, that's, uh, that uh, is the most fascinating part. Do you want to give the game away there, Lisa? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell, tell our listeners. Right. So these are SARS, not the respiratory disorder famous in Japan, but uh, the, the, the ones to do with financial transactions. Suspicious activity Suspicious report. activity reports. A lot of people get these when they transfer large sums of money. It's having one or two or five or six. It's not a cause for concern. It's just to, to red flag something. Well, How about to, 150? Well, that's the difference, right? But then, of course, we say it's 150. We think, well, that's quite a lot. But then you think, what happened? Well, President Biden, according to uh, Representative Comer, changed the rules on how these things are reported, meaning that the Biden family had no more uh, SARS being uh, recorded about their transactions. And uh, I think uh, Representative Comey also pointed out about uh, Maxine Waters, a exactly. Democrat. Exactly. Yeah. Maxine Waters, you know, said, why isn't this being, why has this been changed? And I guess somebody had to say, shh, that's our side. We've decided <laughs> to change the re reporting on suspicious activities reports. But, you know, it, it's like, I found that really shocking, especially considering their alleging abuse of power. And, and if he did, in fact, change that after he was president um, for personal reasons, that, you know, that's pretty bad. Yeah, it's going to be quite amazing to see what comes down the line, Lisa. Now, how long, final question for you, how long before uh, the Democratic Party starts unraveling and pulling out its hair at this? Well, this is, you know, going to be interesting to watch. And I, I think it's safe to say there's a little schadenfreude going on there. And, and Republicans are uh, glad to see the shoes on the other foot. But, you know, this is what happens when you take the House of Representatives in the United States of America. And uh, the GOP is putting Joe Biden and his family on notice. Lisa K. Donna, thank you ever so much. Thank you, Mark. After this short break, we'll be back discussing silver linings for the GOP after a mixed result midterm. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty. 
Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. With the GOP winning the House but losing the Senate and a fairly lackluster performance in the midterm elections, there's a fair amount of despondency upon the political right. And with that, naturally, more than a couple of recriminations. But is it all doom and gloom, or are there some silver linings, perhaps? Well, to help us figure that out, we're joined by longtime host of this here Liberty Nation radio show and LN senior political analyst, Mr. Tim Donner, who wrote a stupendous article on this topic recently. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Let, let's let's talk about uh, what's happened then. It's not all thunderbolts and lightning for the GOP, is it? Well, look, let's let's get down to the basics now that Republicans and frankly, even Democrats have gotten over the shock of what happened. And I'd like to say on November 8th, but it's a concluding or reaching its pinnacle on November 8th because we don't have election days anymore. We have election seasons. Some states began as early as September voting. How else would you explain John Fetterman, who can't even put a sentence together getting elected? But I digress. I think now that we have this election in the rearview mirror and already looking forward to 2024, now that Donald Trump is officially in the race, it's important to note that conservatives got greedy in thinking, well, of course, we're going to take the House. It's a matter of how many seats and looks more and more like we're going to take the Senate. And look, we real clear politics even predicted that the the GOP would pick up three seats, and they are truly impartial analysts that go through all the polls. Mm. So this was a shocking outcome. But through it all, we have to remember that there was only one thing that was absolutely critical, that the Republicans absolutely, totally, positively had to do, and that was to take control of the gavel in the House, Mm. even though they'll have a very slim majority maybe the slimmest in decades probably yeah i mean N- nancy pelosi managed uh, yeah, uh she, two, she two years with just a majority of five that's true um, well, the important thing of course is that the republicans get to set the agenda hmm. and chair the committees and conduct the investigations so let's start with that baseline that they had to win the house and because conservatives started becoming overly ambitious not all of them, but most of them, including the pollsters and Democrats who appeared despondent. They did win the House. And the reason that's important is, yeah, the investigations, yeah, the agenda. But most of all, they can now stop the insane progressive agenda of Joe Biden and the Democrats. They're not going to be able to get anything through. We're going to have two years of gridlock. And as far as the Republicans are concerned, that's exactly what they want. So they get another shot at the White House in uh, 2024. So that combined with the fact, look, they lost the Senate, but that does not affect their ability to stop Biden's agenda. It only means that they can't stop his judicial appointments and they can't stop Senate investigations run by the Democrats. But it does not affect their ability to stop cold, build back better and the like 
that uh, the Democrats foist on the American people. Uh, I think what we might see is that long promised unity from Joe Biden because the uh, because he has to. They, he has to. Yeah. Now, he put he pointed out the other day that he would be willing to work with anybody who's willing to work with him. But what he really meant, if you listen to the words that he said and then looked at his caveats that he included, is that as long as they're on the principles that I want to do, that it doesn't impact uh, reproductive rights, that it doesn't impact uh, our climate agenda plans. And right. I think he's setting right. himself up for a major failure here. Well, I think the way he may be setting himself up for failure is by being all giddy about these midterm results as if it was a mandate for him to continue his left-wing agenda. If he interprets it as that, then yes, he's going to be in big trouble because in no way was this a rubber stamp by the voters of the, the Build Back Better mentality but I think there's look, there's also some other things that happen that are encouraging for the Republicans. I mean, Florida is now Alabama uh, politically for the Republicans. They absolutely dominate the state. DeSantis won by almost 20 points. He was expected to win by maybe a dozen, but he won by almost double that together with Marco Rubio's victory uh, re-election uh, to the Senate, Florida has become ruby red and has produced a future star. He's a star already for the GOP, but he's going to be a future star in the presidential stakes, whether it's 2024, 2028. And that, of course, is Ron DeSantis. So they have a base. And here's the thing. That's probably the most encouraging for Republicans over the long haul. They also made some gains in New York, which is important. Mm. The Democrats had the worst uh, victory in New York that you could possibly have. Hochul barely hung on uh, to win a first full term as governor. But beyond New York, with Florida now in the bank for Republicans and Ohio, also now in the bank for Republicans, the the governor there, Mike DeWine, won by 25 points. Even J.D. Vance, controversial Trump-backed candidate, won by seven. You add the 47 electoral votes of Ohio and Florida to the 40 of Texas, and all of a sudden, the Republicans have a solid red troika of 87 electoral votes, which is not the 101 that Democrats yeah, California, California, New, York, yeah. New York and Illinois, but it comes awfully close. So the electoral map has sort of under the radar uh, really solidified for Republicans for 2024. And middle America becomes a battleground once again. Yes, Tim again. <laughs> uh, We're talking silver linings with Tim Donna for the GOP. We're going to be right back after this short break discussing what comes next for American politics. Don't go anywhere. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com. Going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides.
with Thanksgiving just around the corner. There's no better time to do a year-by-year -year comparison on just how well Bidenomics is treating the average family. And with us to provide the numbers, the pork, and perhaps the turkey is Liberty Nation's economics correspondent, Mr. Andrew Moran. Welcome back, Andrew. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. It has. Uh, we're glad to have you back on. We, we assumed that we wouldn't need you anymore because Joe Biden assured us that the economy was going from strength to strength. But uh, it appears that's not quite true. Is it, Andrew? Oh, uh, absolutely not. I mean, every single, if you look at every single metric, uh, aside from the labor market, of course, it's just everything is on a downhill. The PMIs are contracting, inflation still elevated. You know, uh, companies, are their, their forward guidance is dreadful. The stock market is still in a bear market. So yeah, I mean, every single component of the US economy isn't that great right now. And, you know, recession is almost guaranteed at this point, a second one anyway. So yeah, of course, you know, they could deny the second one as, uh, as easily as they denied the first one. Um, so let's talk Turkey, quite literally, Andrew. Let's talk Turkey. Thanksgiving dinner is coming up. And I know for uh, many of our listeners who don't opt for the Tofurkey version, this, this could be quite an expensive time of year. What are the details? Yeah, so well, the 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 price of the of the centerpiece itself, Turkey. I mean, it's it's at an all time high right now. And you look at the numbers. I think it's uh, up twenty one percent from a year ago. The cost of a sixteen pound bird is twenty eight ninety six. Or if you do the math, and I'm terrible at math, it's a dollar eighty one per pound. Says um, the Economist. <laughs> <laughs> and the overall Thanksgiving feast, according to the American Farm Bureau, is up twenty percent from a year ago. So overall, I mean, this Thanksgiving is going to be absolutely expensive for anyone. If you look at some of the surveys, they show a quarter of Americans are just giving up Thanksgiving. They're not going to do anything this year because of how expensive it is. And it's just it's not just, it's not just a turkey. I mean, look at everything around. Look at the price of eggs as a good example mm -hmm. of that. Up 40% year over year just a month ago. That, that, that was incredible. The price of bread's up 15% from a year ago. Corn, uh, peas, carrots, uh, you know, ham, everything is just up across the board at Thanksgiving feast. And then if you want to go see your in-laws, you're spending, you know, 20% more in gasoline from a year ago. So I mean, that, that, that is the best excuse ever, right? Sorry, in-laws. <laughs> exactly. we, we shan't be there this year. Gas is, is far too pricey. Now, uh, let, let's not lay all the blame at the feet of the present economy. There is uh, surely the, the bird flu that's sweeping the world has impacted the, the price of the bird anyway, specifically, hasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the bird flu. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Uh, usually, the 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 bird flu is around for the colder months, you know, January, February, March. But this year, the farmers have been noticing that the bird flu actually seeped in July, and July is a critical period for these farmers because that's when they start raising the flock for the Thanksgiving uh, sales. So, yeah, the bird flu. It's not just happening in the United States; it's happening in Canada, the UK, Asia, all these different places, and that's adding fuel to this whole turkey inflation. But it's also, again, it's not just bird flu. You have uh, soaring diesel prices, soaring labor uh, costs and labor shortages, the war in Ukraine, drought. So uh, I think it was NPR that said it sounds like uh, biblical revelations considering what's happening in the, in the Turkey market. Yeah, I've... Uh... I, I tended to ignore NPR in recent years after they, uh, they start using far too many adjectives to describe uh, political leaders on the right. And uh, I, I think that's uh, conduct unbecoming, uh, considering they take taxpayer dollars. Now, let's, um, let's discuss something a little bit different here, but still on the same topic. So if inflation goes up or down in the near future, is the consumer, are we going to be stuck with these high prices and as in once the the market learns that a certain percentage of people is st or are still willing to 
pay the higher prices. Um, what incentives do producers have to drop back, do you think? Well, first of all, I mean, when it comes to inflation, it's sticky. I mean, if you look at the year-over-year growth of 7.7%, that's the baseline from a year ago. But it doesn't mean that prices are going to start falling. You know, if something goes up 7% or 8%, it's going to stay there for a while. It's not going to come down to where it was, you know, pre-pandemic or 1980. And then if you're on top of that, your purchasing power has been completely eviscerated with all the money printing that's been going on. Uh, when it comes to uh, producers uh, scaling back their output, if prices are as high as they are, they're going continue to try to take advantage of those higher prices. But the problem is that if you try, if they try to take advantage of higher prices, they have to do with all these other overhead costs. You know, labor is one of the biggest things right now occurring. Energy for farmers, energy, you know, uh, fertilizer is, is trading at all-time highs or near all-time highs now anyway. Diesel is at a, uh, $5.40 a gallon. National average, of course, probably higher in a lot of other places. So it, it, it's they're stuck between a rock and a hard place where they want to, they want to make, they want to profit off of these near, near all-time high prices but then you know investing it to do that is a risk is a, is a risky gamble because what will happen suddenly if prices collapse then have all this investments going down the tubes that's one of the issues with the oil market today one of the reasons not the only one but one of them is that oil producers they're terrified of investing more in case you know, you know, the uh, WTI prices collapse before it be below 80, 70 or $60 a barrel, which makes it, you know, because it makes it harder to break even. And then, of course, in addition to that, you have the regulatory uncertainty from the current Biden administration. I, I may be wrong here, Andrew, and uh, my understanding of economics and uh, global power systems is not complete. But it, it seems that when Joe Biden says that uh, the, these oil producers and these manufacturing companies that are charging the higher prices, it's not as he says, that it's all because of greed. There's a certain amount of self-protection involved there, right? Oh God, it's it's so frustrating when when because it's not just I mean this this is the doctrine of the left where the or mm. progressivism itself they think that you know uh, one that profit is bad two profit is driving higher prices but that's not the case when it comes to crude oil and now that we've transitioned to that subject uh, when I'm talking about crude oil <laughs> it's it's the petrol it's the petroleum financial markets that drive the cost of WTI Brent natural gas whatever the case it's not so much Chevron you know you know posting record profits in, in, in its previous quarter and that's what's completely frustrating i mean it sounds it sounds on the surface that perhaps he's right but if you understand economics and how the financial markets work you see he's just completely lying about it or perhaps he's not lying he's just oblivious and ignorant to what's occurring in in the in the broader economic conditions i, I think you'd find a 50 50 split on uh, where that is um i don't think there's anybody saying he's actually right no there are some people within uh, the fourth estate saying he's correct now let, let's jump uh, let's stick with joe biden for a minute now uh, how is Biden's international largesse? Now, I, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to here. Uh, $20 billion, that's billion with a B, to, uh, of taxpayer money, much of it from the US, not all of it, uh, to wean Indonesia off coal or off fossil fuels. I mean, firstly, Andrew, how is that impacting long-term economic out, uh, outlook for the United States? Number two, how can you even justify sending taxpayer money to do climate action in Indonesia? I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm sure yeah. the Indonesian people, I'm sure, are wonderful, but really? 
Yeah, when, when I, I first heard of the story actually on LibertyNation.com on, on, the, on the headlines, and I, I was baffled by it. $20 billion to one country for green energy? What the heck is that? And then you dive deeper into it, and I, and I reported on it for LibertyNation.com. I want to know into more detail. And yeah, so it's the United States and the G7 partners, and they're giving Indonesia $20 billion to uh, wean off coal and go into green energy, uh, geothermal, solar, all that stuff. And But it's so funny because uh, Indonesia – its representation of global emissions is about one between one and one point four percent, and if you compare that to China, the U.S. U.S. about U.S. China represent about half of all international emissions. Uh, but this is the latest scheme. I, I mean, you, you can fault a country, a poor country like Indonesia or any other nations that are currently negotiating with the G7 and the United Nations and all these Western countries that that want to just hand out taxpayer dollars. If you pledge to be a green country, if you're if you if you're just saying, hey, oh yeah, of course, well, we want to get off fossil fuels and have solar panels everywhere, but you give us money, of course you're going to do that. You can't blame them Why at all for they? twenty billion, billion dollars for a, a poorer <laughs> or developing country, as they're called. Of course yeah, they'll and then take of course, it. But what's funny too is that all the the uh, um, Jakarta's goal is to go. Uh, 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 zero uh, emission economy by 2050. So we got $20 billion now or over the next five years for something like that might be attained in 2050. So I find that comical. I mean, all, all these countries are going to do it. And because these countries, these Western countries are so desperate to hand out money, the terms and conditions of a lot of these agreements, especially on, on when it comes to the financing side, they're all going to benefit these countries. They're all going to want, one of, the, one of the issues that the, the Indonesian government had was that they wanted far lower interest rates. And guess what? The G7 just gave it to them. So I, I don't know the specific number, but the president was celebrating that he got lower interest rates. It's uh, it's easy to be generous when it's not your money. Andrew Moran. That's Milton thanks. Friedman. That's a, that's a Milton Friedman quote. You know, yeah. uh, you, you're, it's an inefficient way to, to spend other people's money on somebody else. So Milton Friedman was turning in his grave when he, uh, he read about <laughs> the intuition <laughs> story. Well, thank you for talking Turkey with us, Andrew Moran. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back in just a short moment talking the cryptocurrency collapse that's rocked over 1 million customers with Scott D. Casenza. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. The cryptocurrency markets are facing tough times as an enormous scheme unfolds. And yet, who was this Madoff-type mastermind behind it all? And does it beg questions regarding party political funding? Well, someone who's been following this story closely is Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, host of the Uprising podcast, and extremely dapper man about town, Mr. Scott D. Casenza. Welcome back to the show, Scott. And holder of uh, at least one or more cryptocurrencies, though thankfully none on the, uh, uh, the now bankrupted FTX exchange, Mark. Right. Just, just very quickly here now, Scott, I have to point out I'm incredibly ignorant on cryptocurrencies and the terms involved. FTX exchange. This is essentially just a place where people can either use real money to buy cryptocurrencies well, for, or they firstly, can use different <laughs> cryptocurrencies. The notion that there's something called real money and, and not real money, I think. No, that, of, of course. Yeah. We, I mean, take it as given that uh, we understand it's issued, all built on debt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> government issued promises for our grandchildren sure. to repay back. If, if that's sure. what you mean by real money, then then yes. So if you want to buy, for instance, Bitcoin is the most widely held uh, yep. cryptocurrency. How are you going to do it, though? You have to get uh, somebody to sell you the coin and it has to go into an account. And one of the most popular ways for people to do that is to take their government issued money, 
uh, and transfer it to an exchange, which they can then use to buy Bitcoin in exchange for, for instance, U.S. dollars. So, right. um, uh, and one of the the important components of this this story is that the FTX exchange was located in the Bahamas, and many mm-hmm. of the exchanges are located off U.S. shores. Uh, now, some of that is just a natural occurrence because they're that's where their ownership is, and that's where they want to do business. But a, a large portion of the reason why so much of this is offshore is because of the failure of the U.S. regulatory authorities to allow our major financial institutions to do these things themselves, by the way, which would give uh, the American people or any any investor or, or deposit. added layer of consumer protection. Absolutely. Okay, so Scott, so what's happened is essentially uh, that the chap behind it all, uh, Samuel Bankman Fried, he built up this enormous FTX company exchange, Bitcoin exchange, cryptocurrency exchange, and then spooked the markets. People started selling, and it, um, it's reminiscent of the uh, the scene in It's a Wonderful Life, right, where there's a, a Potter, evil old Potter, does a run on the on on Jimmy's bank, Jimmy Stewart's so- bank. Of course, in this scenario, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried is certainly I'm no gonna go away from Jimmy the, uh, Stewart, let's be clear. <laughs> I'm going to go away from the Christmas movie uh, analogies and, uh, to just try to try to get everything uh, get everything straight. What happened was Bankman-Fried was playing games with the depositors' funds, uh, as we understand it now. It looks like he took money he had no legal right to take to make bets on cryptocurrencies and other uh, perhaps financial, you know, uh, investment strategies, hoping that they would pay off and then he would be able to replace the money that he took and no one would be the wiser. But that's not what happened. And in fact, somebody realized what was going on likely uh, and that he was over leveraged. And that was one of the biggest competitors to the FTX exchange, which is Binance, which is the yep. world's largest cryptocurrency uh, trading platform. The Binance management uh, said, we're going to dump a lot of the FTX proprietary coins that they held from a uh, basically a previous financial transaction they were involved with with FTX. So they said, we don't like what's going on here with the balance sheets. We think it looks funny. And we also, it seems like, Mark, that the Binance people thought we could really pounce like a shark. You know, there's some blood in the water here with some weakness with FTX. So they said, we're going to dump all of these uh, tokens that we have, which is a pr- sort of a proprietary yeah. type of cryptocurrency. And everybody rushed to sell because they realized the market was going to be flooded with these coins. Yeah, Because of that flood of the market, that was a run on the proprietary coin. Now, that didn't affect necessarily anybody else, except that in order to cover uh, those um, redemptions, basically, yeah. okay, FTX was placed in a financially precarious position. And so then people who had no, uh, absolutely nothing to do with that proprietary coin, maybe they even just had dollars in an account on the FTX exchange waiting for an opportunity or have having sold or something like that, or Bitcoin or any of a number of the other cryptocurrencies they traded, thought, I better get my money out of FTX before it shuts its doors completely. And they were right. And of course, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're it's it's it's, it's a wonderful life. It, it, the, the, the the scenario actually works. Now, Scott, the uh, very six billion dollars was sold from the platform in yep. seventy-two hours. By the way, that's the level of, and I, I believe that uh, more than a million uh, depositors 
now have to try and claw back over a billion dollars, that's B, a billion with a B, uh, through bankruptcy courts. Now, I, I'm reminded, well, actually, a, a good friend of mine, Freddie Vatcher, who is a, a serious thinker and an even more serious chess player, he, he reminded me that this was similar to Robert Maxwell's big scam. Uh, Robert Maxwell may not be familiar to, to everybody, but he was a, a big newspaper proprietor in the UK and also the father of Jusane Maxwell. Uh, of Jeffrey Epstein fame. Uh, and what he did was shuffled money around trying to cover losses that he'd made in certain places and essentially inflated his balance sheet uh, until the whole thing came crumbling down. Now, what I think is really interesting, Scott, is that Mr. Sam Bankman fried he was actually funding, funneling tens of millions of dollars to the Democratic Party right before He's the election. The second largest donor this cycle second only to George Soros. Mm. He and his brother, who was a former staffer to a Democrat uh, representative in, uh, in the House and member of the banking committee, visited the White House numerous times. Mark, it's impossible to uh, overstate how closely tied Sam Bankman-Fried is with the highest levels of the Democrat Party. I sh I, you should, should also mention here that uh, Bankman-Fried's mother, is also responsible for large fundraising organizations that specifically favor Democrats. Uh, this this whole family is, as you say, deeply entwined with that. So what's happened? And now I do not understand how all these financing things work. Uh, very few people, I'm sure, understand the full intricacies of it. But it, it appears that Mr. Bankman-Fried was getting lots of money out of the company and then giving it to Democrats uh, just before the election. And now he can't cover that money by putting it from somewhere else within the company. And so the whole thing comes down. And the only people that are happy are the Democrats who were the 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 happy victims of his largesse. Is that right? Well, I don't know that we can say it's a one-to-one, -one, a dollar taken from here sure. equals a dollar given over there. That I, I don't think the facts have yet to be reported that can justify such a claim. But it is true that he took money that didn't that, that didn't belong to him in order to make investments uh and one of the one of the uh outlets for uh for what he did with his money was to generously fund the campaigns of uh of progressive democrats so do you think joe biden in a uh in a fit of honesty might decide to take his own checkbook out or that of the uh democrat senate committee's checkbook and reimburse the up to 1 million uh, victims of Mr. SBF, as he's known, uh, fraud. Do you Mark, think that's likely to sternly worded letter is in order at least on on that account? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I look forward to reading it. Scott, we all do. It should be the uh, the the epic novel of a lifetime, explaining why they're not going to pay back the money that they use to get themselves elected to further their own political careers and uh, indeed wealth building. Scott D. Casenza, thank you ever so much for filling us in on this. Thank you, Mark. And that's almost all we have time for in this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'd like to thank this week's guests, Tim Donner, Andrew Moran, and the long-suffering but always faithful contributor to our Talking Liberty segment, Mr. Scott D. Casenza, for joining us. And of course, my sincerest thanks to you, the listeners, for taking the time to tune in. Uh, a parting thought for you this week on power. Uh, Plato once said, the measure of a man is what he does with power. And for me, this ties in well with what we see all around us. 
those with the ultimate power over their fellow man seemed determined to use it to bolster their own position and to ensure that the power stays with them. And then we have these tech wonderkins who use their position and their newly acquired power in assuring that the focus, attention, and indeed cash of the consumer is pushed towards those who are again already in power. But we should not be too dispirited because we are, despite what the political left would have us believe, individuals uh, with independent minds, spirits, and motivations. Really, against all the odds, there truly isn't anything more powerful than that. Thanks for listening. <laughs>